Welcome to Body Sculpt of New York Six Weeks to Fitness Podcast, where we hope to inform, motivate, encourage, and inspire you towards living a healthier lifestyle. And now, here's your host, the president of Body Sculpt of New York, Vince Ferguson. Hi, I'm Vince Ferguson. Welcome to Six Weeks of Fitness, episode 140. Thank you so much for tuning in. Mike Diamond is a former reality TV star, motivational speaker, author, director, life coach, interventionist, and a philanthropist. He has appeared in several Inc. TV series such as New York Inc., Miami Inc., and Bondi Inc. And joining me today on my Six Weeks of Fitness podcast to discuss his personal health journey, his marathons for a cause, and his book, Seven Steps to an, to an Unbreakable Mindset, is Mike Diamond. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Vince. How are you? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, I can tell from your voice that you're not from the States. So where, where were you born and what was your childhood like? I was born in a place called Perth, Western Australia, which is on the west coast of Australia. And geographically, it is the most isolated capital city in the world. So it's so far away to get to. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was a pretty rough childhood. I grew up um, undiagnosed dyslexic, um, had a lot of learning issues. Uh, addiction runs very strong in my family. Both my grandfathers died of alcoholism. And I have two cousins uh, that have severe mental health in- issues. They're in both in institutions. So I had a lot of physical and mental abuse growing up, which triggered me into, you know, using drugs at a very young age, getting thrown out of school and and not making the greatest choices. So I didn't have the greatest, you know, start to life and environment. So when did you come to the States? I moved to America in 97, 1997. Uh, Didn't really know anyone. I just, you know, said I'm coming to America. I was fortunate. I took a job in a clothing store when I was in acting school and a lady, it's going to sound crazy, uh, a lady gave me a lottery ticket for a green card (laughs) and I sent in the green card lottery ticket and that's how I got here. A lottery ticket for a green card? Really? I know it sounds some really wonka stuff, but it's legit. And back then it was like to, to, to get it from Australia to here. It was either come across, you know, try to get a work visa, which was impossible, or you had to invest like a million dollars in, in an American company. Really? And I was like, oh, I entered the green card lottery. Yeah, I entered the green card lottery, and six months later, the, I got a green card. You still have to go through intense immigration process. You know, you have to sit interviews, have health tests. I don't want you to be a burden on society. Right. But I went through processing, and I had plenty of money, you know you know, saved, but then over the time of immigration, I literally came here with practically, a, you know, a hundred bucks in my pocket and a green card. And I was like, here I am, I'm in America. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it about America that, that attracted you? America to me is an incredible country because country it has no ceiling. And it truly is a, a place where if you really do the work and you are prepared to just stick and just and just really discipline yourself, the rewards are massive. Unlike a place like Australia, which doesn't work on the tipping system, it's not a, an entrepreneurial place to live. You know what I mean? It's, it's got a ceiling, Australia. You know, and you're talking about Australia has 27 million people. You have America with like about 316 million people. So you know, there's a there's there's a way, and if you look at all the great entrepreneurs, and you look at like you go back to like Napoleon Hill when he was writing Think and Grow Rich, yes. and the Industrial Revolution, and you look at how just these incredible people change the way money is made, and and just the the inventors, they all come, you know, they come out of this beautiful country. So and, and when you look at music, when you look at any kind of art, like America takes a charge on so many different diverse cultures. That to me, I went to acting school, you know, I wasn't a, a book smart kid. I was more of an entrepreneur before people talked about entrepreneurship. I was like, I've got to go to America. So I was obsessed about the country and the culture and just really wanted to be here. Amazing, amazing. But why acting, Mike? 
it was just something that I, I was, um, I could do it. It, it was very weird. I could sing and I could perform. And I, even though I was dyslexic, I could, I could act. It was very easy to get in front of people and act. Really? And sing. And it was just something, it was an inclination. And Robert Greene talks about it beautifully in the book Mastery. Yes. Um, and we all have an inclination. And I just, and then if you go into Ray Dalio in Principles, he likes to do that incredible thing where he gives everyone the personality test. So if I go back to my inclinations, I am, you know, uh, an outgoing, you know, they call it an ENFG. Do you know what I mean? That 2% of the person, the protagonist that likes to perform, that likes to motivate. It's always been something I've never had to try to do. It's just easy to, like they say, public speaking is hard. Yeah. It's not hard for me. I've always been out to get up in front of people and motivate them. Huh. So acting was easy. It was get up, read it, be passionate, show emotion. And so I just kind of, I didn't really think about it. It just came so easy. Yes, yes, yes. Now you were a reality TV star, a businessman, yep. a director. Yep. Now you are a life <laughs> coach, an interventionist, a philanthropist, a speaker and author. But how did all of this come about? Well, it all started with the acting. So I didn't, when I moved to America, I was in the acting and I fell into the nightclub business. I didn't really know bars or restaurants, but I knew people and I was doing music and acting. So what happened is when I started doing the music and acting and I started in Miami first before I went to New York and I realized that I could create events and bring people together. And I, I don't know, I just kind of figured how to navigate those waters. So I, first got a TV show called The Grapevine uh, with a guy called David Frankel, who went on, he did Sex in the City back in the day. And then it got me to New York. And then in New York, I was, I owned a bar with the late, great Scott Weiland uh, from Velvet And what happened, what got me into the reality world was Scott and I were shooting a TV show for VH1. And before there was a bar show, we were way before our time in 2004, and it was about me being an Australian, owning a bar with the famous rock star, <laughs> and bands would come in and perform on this little stage. It was on 21st and 6th of the club called Snitch, and it was how a bar would run and the employees. Then what happened is I introduced a bunch of tattoo artists to a gentleman called Charlie Corwin, and Charlie created Miami Inc., so I was involved in the start of Miami Inc. And that's how I always balanced both. So what really, how I led into interventions is a very crazy story. The guy that got me sober was a very famous interventionist. And I was spending so much time with these famous musicians and actors that I knew them when I was using, when I knew them in sobriety. Uh -huh. He was retiring. And he said, hey, do you want to, how about I pass the torch to you and you start working as an interventionist? Hmm. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I learned to kind of take every bit of experience. So I could stay sober running a bar. You know, I could stay sober on the road with someone. I could always stay sober. So it was kind of like very open. And then I went deep into studying addiction, human behavior, motivation, mindfulness. Yes neuro-linguistic programming yeah. because the younger generation, it's a little different now with social media. They don't want to just sit in an AA meeting. You know, you have to really understand mental health, motivation, and all these different factors to keep someone sober these days. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's a little different to just, hey, go to a meeting and that's all it. No. You know, you're talking about fentanyl now. You're talking about some, a lot of serious things on the dark web that, you have to really understand how, how a human being really thinks and processes information. Yes, yes. Now, as an interventionist, now you are dealing with people yeah. who are addicted to drugs like you were. Yeah, exactly. And you're helping them to, rec yeah. to recover. Correct. So what I try to do is I work with anyone, whether it could be a kid or an adult, it doesn't matter the age. And when they feel like the choices are becoming very disempowering, and they feel like they need someone to intervene, I'll sit down and kind of get an idea of the environment and what I'm dealing with. And then I'll come up with a strategy with a team of people, usually a doctor, um, some nurses, and we work out whether we're going to go in and 
do a detox, which is the person physically has to detox before we actually get them to a treatment center. Or sometimes we just, I do the intervention and give them enough information, enough of my story to convince them that maybe it's time we made a change. And in that process, get them into a treatment center and then work with the therapist and the doctors. And then when they come out, which is a very important factor, it's, you know, the post care is, is so important with people because rehab is great. It'll get you, you know, get you the first part of treatment, but it's the second part, which is the process of what are we doing, you know, after that, you know, what's our, how do we keep someone sober? Thank you. Yes. And so then it, you know what I mean? Then it goes into the sober coaching, the life coaching. And then it also, I, where I'm fortunate is having a background in business, having a background in entertainment in multiple areas, um, easier for me to then help someone, you know, come up with a strategy for their life. So it's not just like wham, bam, thank you, man. It's like, all right, you know, studied multiple areas. Let me help you here, 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 and here. So what is the average amount of time that you have to spend with someone? Well, it depends. Everyone's different. So if, if I met someone tomorrow and they you know, their, their addiction is strong, um, and I, and so some people may not want, want to go to treatment. So then if it's no treatment, then I may spend, a, you know, I could do a full-time case where it's like, all right, I'm with you every day and I have to strike their day. And I've had those situations. It could be, you know, it could be a famous actor or musician. They're like, oh, no, I'm not going to go to rehab. So then we have to create an environment and a situation where we're, we're 24 seven. And I've lived with people 24 seven in situations. Really? Really? Yeah. Um, then I'll say someone goes to a treatment center and they, they're full-time in the treatment center, then it's opposite. As soon as they come out, we have a structure set up and it's usually, you know, it could be three or four days a week, a few hours a day, and then we structure that, you know, I make sure they go to therapy, they go into meetings, you know, I've got their an exercise routine, meditation, and we structure, we, we, it has to be a complete 180 of where they were. And it's very intense. And once we get the first couple of months going, there should be enough repetition of these new behaviors and empowering choices that the person should get on track. You know, and it's giving them enough resources and, and references. So, you know, I like I go to books like Think and Grow Rich and I go to books like Man's Search for Meaning. They're two opposites, but they both are very amazing books. Of One's a business book, right. a strategy, but it talks infinite. But, you know, Man's Search for Meaning is positive psychology. So you let them see that, it's, you know, there's a whole world out of there of information and resources that they can start reading and, and gathering and practice. So you, you change their way of thinking, their way of their outlook on life. Absolutely. And, and, that, and then, you know, understanding, like I've done a lot of study on a guy called John Bradshaw and Abraham Maslow. Maslow talks about the hierarchy, you know, of needs and looking at motivation correctly. And then when you talk about John Bradshaw, he does a lot of the inner critics, um, family systems and shame. So, you know, wherever you are right now, whether I am right here, we've manifested this reality by how we choose to think, feel and act. And it doesn't matter who we are, we, we have to take responsibility for where we are in this moment. Do you know what I mean? And then we say, okay, well, how did I get here? What choices did I make? Okay, so that means my belief system, whatever I believe in, it affects my choices. You know, and those choices are a ripple effect. Yes. To the next choice, next choice. So if we strip everything down, I mean, so okay, at the end of the day, you and I want happiness some form of happiness. And if we're going external for the happiness, if we're taking drugs or too much sex or, you know, too, we have no balance, then we have to then start looking at our needs. We say, okay, we, you and I have basic needs. Right. Basic needs. Food, shelter, you know, basic needs. But if we flip it and say, okay, we live in a country with massive abundance, yet... We take more pain pills and we're massively in debt. Yes, true. So, okay, so we have needs, but what are the wants? So, 
you're in New York, right? I'm in New York, right. Okay, perfect example. So New York is expensive, uh, but let's look at travel. You can get around New York on the subway. I lived in New York 10 years, didn't need a car. So if you look at the human being, you say, okay, I need transport. And you say, okay, why did you buy a $100,000 Mercedes? It's like, oh, I need transport. You're like, hold on. That's a want, not a need. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? You don't need that $100,000 car to put yourself in debt. What you need to is look at those wants and those needs and look if they're congruent. And when we start to look at the wants, we may be going outside ourselves for approval. And that approval could be cultural. Well, I need to act this certain way because my family has said, oh, you should do this or you should do that. And so in, when we start to break those things down in our needs and wants and our hierarchies, we start to go inside ourselves and we say, okay, am I really being authentic? So you believe that we create our own reality? Absolutely. So if you, right now, if you and I go out in the street in New York and there's a fight between a man and a woman and the man hits the woman, my perception may be she deserved it. Hmm. Your perception may be Wow, what kind of asshole will do that? Yeah. Another guy may witness it and may have seen the fight two seconds before where she spat on him. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? So my perception, your perception is all based on how we choose to think. Yes. Now, those thoughts are based on our references. Well, most definitely. Right? We all have different references. And that where do those references come from? The information we gather. And where does that come from? Our environment. How do we change that perception? So first of all, we have to look at disempowering and empowering emotion. Okay. So if I am full of resentment, if I am full of hate, if I am full of anger, if I am full of fear, and if I have all these survival, I'm always acting out. I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm always in fight, flight, or freeze. Right. If I'm operating out of survival, and anger and disempowering emotions, then I can't be, I can't have gratitude. I can't have love. You know what I mean? I can't have compassion. So we, if we look at, we have to ask ourselves, first of all, what are the thoughts? What, what, is, what is going on in my head? What, 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 is, what am I ruminating about? And we could use a cognitive therapy approach, which is, you know, Socratic questioning way back from when Socrates was around, they start to question these thoughts, you know, what, and, and then, or we could go back to what Albert Ellis talked about, which is rational emotive therapy, rational emotions and thoughts. You know, are they awfulizing, ca catastrophic? What is, what is the process going on in my brain? And the most important thing, why? Yes. Having these, right? right. So then we start to look at these processes and we have to start questioning these thoughts. And we have to start questioning the root. Where did these thoughts come from? You know? Yeah. And then when we look at these thoughts and then these feelings and then how they're making me, you know, act my emotions, my action emotions, energy emotion, we start to say, hmm, I'm making some pretty bad choices here. There you go. You know, I'm in debt. I'm, I'm addicted to multiple drugs. I can't hold a relationship. I can't hold a job. I seem to be blaming the world for everything. Right. Where is this coming from? Why am I making these disempowering choices? So the personal responsibility we have to have is the acceptance of like, okay, I, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm not where I want to be. I can't figure life out, right? right. I can't figure out the game. I can't figure out the rules. I'm blaming everyone. And if we keep asking these questions, we start to get down to the core and the root. Hmm. And we say, wow. Like, mm. So if you look at Viktor Frankl, right? Viktor Frankl, man, was in three concentration camps, right. lost his wife, lost his mother and father, lost their newborn, but yet created positive psychology and took the stress. And instead of post-traumatic stress, he called it post-traumatic growth. Right. <laughs> yes. You're like, wow, that's incredible perception. Yes. Right. right, according to how he looked at it. And, and right. Exactly. So then you say, okay, if a guy like Viktor Frankl could do that, then hold on, where am I? 
am I in a concentration camp? And, you know, am I fighting for my life every day? You know, now, if you come from a really, really rough part of, say, back in the day in the South Bronx or a bad part of Harlem before it was gentrified or, you know, the inner city and you have abuse and you have all these things, you're like, okay, I'm in a pretty bad spot. I'm always in survival. I come out of my house. People want to kill me. I go to school. There's gangs. I've got to now figure out, I've got to think greater than my environment. And a lot of incredible people have done it. But that's where, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a mentor, someone that can like help guide you or an indirect mentor where you start to read biographies or read about people that have gone and done incredible things beyond their environment. Yes. That's the way to to surround yourself with people who are making it happen. Yeah, and, and it's like I look at this. There's two types of people in the world. There's an engine, people that inspire you and drive you, and then there's anchors, people that bring you down and pull you down and don't want you to do well. So you have to look at those people. But the beautiful thing now about the world is that there's so much information and resources because we have the internet. Yes. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I just had to think bigger than my environment. I had to think, wow, how do I get out of Perth? And then everything that I did was like I would go to, I'd lie about my age and it would be 21 to do an acting class. Hmm. And I would say I'm one and I was 15 sure. and I'd get into an acting uh, class. Yeah. Just anything I could do, I mean, the first pubs I played at, you had to be 18 to play, you know, at a pub. And I was younger than 18. So I would lie about my age and be singing in the band. Like anything I could do to get into a different environment. You did. I I would do. I would just figure it out. Like I, I don't. I believe you can close the gap. You can always close the gap. You know what I mean? From where you are to where you want to be, if you're willing to pay the price. Hmm. And what is that price usually? It's usually time, because you only have 24 hours in a day, right? Right. So what are you going to do with those 24 hours? Okay. So I look at time very. I, I believe that, you know, don't look at yesterday. It's gone. You're in the moment, and what do you want to create? Do you know what I mean? How do you want to get there? Hmm. And and then you've got to strategize about what you always what you want and why. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a why. Why is the glue? Has to be a why. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that why could be your family. Could be your. Absolutely. It has to be more than you. It has to be of service. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, if I'll tell you why. Like, if you go out tomorrow and you say. I want to earn a billion dollars, right? And I go, okay, why? Well, I want to prove to everyone that I can make money. Okay, do you realize no one cares? Huh. And you're like, hmm. They don't, right? So you earn a billion dollars and what happens? You build a castle and you're living in it by yourself and no one gives a shit. Right. They're like, excuse my language, yeah. whatever. Yes. But if you go, I want to make money, why? Because I want to serve others or I want to build a, a business or I want to do this, guess what? That is a, there's that great story and they go, there's three people working on a church. He, a guy goes over to the first guy and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm a bricklayer. It's my job. Then he goes over to the second guy and he says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a bricklayer. It's my career. He goes, okay. And he goes over to the third guy. He goes, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a bricklayer. It's my calling. Ah, big difference. Uh, so, you know, not a career, a calling. A calling. Your calling is to be of service and to find purpose in everything we do. Mm. Yes. And when you really start to think of things like that, guess what? You have an abundant mentality, not a scarcity. There's always enough to go around. Yeah, but so many, so many of us feel like there is not. Like if, I, if, you, if you get it, there won't be anything left for me, you know? And that's why we have so much fighting and so much pain and so much homelessness and so much drug addiction because we're always wanting, wanting, wanting. But we have to look, I want all this stuff, but what do we really need? Would you say that our current environment, as far as the, the social media, the internet, plays a major part in that? Absolutely. And the problem is people post things that aren't realistic. So, And, and because if we look at the dopamine receptors of the brain, it's the reward system. So we want a reward before we actually do it because dopamine is very interesting. You get the reward by thinking and stimulating it, but you don't get anything from it. 
you know what I mean? That's why we're tricked. So we, we see stimulation in pictures or programming or this. But you know most people, when you look at it, you know, you look at their life on Instagram, and if you really sat them down, you're like, come on, what are you putting up on social media? Yes, 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 yes. You know, but that's now I think, I don't know if they're introducing it, but they said they're going to try and introduce a situation where they remove the likes from photos the engagement and that will be interesting to see what people actually post true because people are posting because they want they want the likes correct yeah they want to feel good and they want to, they want to be approved of others but like think about this what were people doing before social media exactly yes yeah. it's like what so you so you see these people right and they're like oh i'm doing this i'm doing that okay and you know it's like you're on a yacht or you're on a jet okay and Okay, right, exactly. Does it make you a better person? What does, right? what does it matter? Great, you're on a jet. I see it all the time. Does it make you... Yeah, does it make you... I mean, there's a photo of a guy that jumped a fence and tried to take a picture with a private jet and then got caught jumping the fence. Really? <laughs> so you can post on your social media, you are, you are, you're taking a private jet, who cares? Oh my goodness, but it's so much of that, man. So much of that, yeah. you know? It's silly. But it, how important is that, right? How important is it to, to, your, to your life? It's not, it's not, zero important. Now, let me ask you, because you know, there's a lot that you have done, and I want to talk about yep. your health for a minute, because I understand that at yep. one point, you were told that you had to have your colon removed. Tell, tell my audience about that, my listeners. So basically, I got ulcerative colitis, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2010. And they put me on a bunch of medicine, uh, prednisone, which is a really toxic steroid, and this, this medicine, Lialda. And I got really sick, and I said, this is not working. So basically, the doctor said, we're going to take your colon out. And I said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And I got off all the meds. Then, fast forward uh, six years, seven years. So it's two years ago, 2017, I had some stomach issues. And um, with, with colitis, ulcerative colitis, you have chronic pain and diarrhea and all these things when you're flaring. So my stomach was off for like three days. Um, and then I went to the bathroom after three days. I was going to the gym, doing everything. And uh, I didn't. So I was like, ooh, this is not colitis. Mm. My, my wife rushed me to the hospital and my appendix had burst. Ah, wow. Yeah, so I was in septic shock for three days. Mm. And the doctor basically said, your colon's done. It's, it's, you've got no it's rotted with all the septus. We're taking it out. And I'm like, no, 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 just leave it in. Get me through the surgery and let me fix it out. So... I had full stomach surgery. I lost seven inches off my intestines uh, and then healed myself naturally. Really? I just went through an incredible regimen of juicing, food, uh, low carbohydrates. I don't need a lot of carbs. Um, and then just built myself up through meditation, supplements, all natural supplements. And I'm not a, I, I do eat organic, but I do eat meats and vegetables. I eat everything. Um, just don't eat junk food. Good, yeah. And then I built myself up, and I have had no stomach issues since. I, I basically healed myself. But naturally. that is so amazing. Where did you get the strength, the courage, you know, to do that? Um, well, you know what's ironic is, well, this is a leads into, so uh, I, my stomach was a mess, and then I watched this person, this woman run 100 miles, hmm. and I'd never run never run a, a long distance race in my life. And to top that off, my baby came seven weeks premature. And so I, I you know, competed in like natural men's physique contests. And wow, nice. was a sprinter, state sprinting champion, but never ran a distance race. So I said to my wife, you know what? I think I'm going to go and push the baby and run. I want to bond with the baby and train myself. Wow. And the first race I did was a half marathon. 13 miles. Yeah, 13 miles. I was like, I'm going to do 13 miles. She goes, you're crazy. I said, I'm going to push the baby 13 miles. And the process of, I studied like running and a thing called chi running and mindfulness running and the body and just I changed my whole approach to food and digestion and meditation and synchronizing. 
and I really got in tune with my body and how it moves and operates. I ran the 13 and then last August, just now, I raised money for a little girl and ran the 30 half marathons in 30 days and broke the world record. 30 half marathons for 30 days. In 30 days. You mean every day, yeah. 13 miles? Every, every, every day I ran. I got up at four in the morning. I created my own sanctioned races. I ran 13 miles. I raised money, got home, walked my dog, <laughs> went to work all day, took care of my, my family duties, then got up at four in the next morning and did it. So basically I ran 400 miles in a month and the record was 18. So we had to create 30 actual races and I raised money for this little girl later and, and actually broke the world record. Uh, who does that? <laughs> an addict. <laughs> That's truly an addict. Obsessed. That's where the power of addiction comes in. <laughs> oh my goodness. Who in the world? That is unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. And I did it for a hernia. I actually have hernia surgery tomorrow because what happened really? is when I, yeah, my, my stomach, um, the first month, my stomach kind of reacted to all the stress of the training. And um, I was like forcing myself to use the bathroom and I had a hernia. So actually when I went to get it done, I went to the doctor and he's like, oh, you got a hernia. You can't run 400 miles. I said, yeah, I can. And I ran Actually, I did, I did it with a hernia, full-blown hernia, and I got through it with the collider. My goodness. Is that mind over matter? All mind. Yeah, because i tell you why. I, I really you have. And, and my next, um, I'm going to be running in May. I'm going to either do uh, probably ultra marathons. It's going to be a real stretch because um, I'm raising money for this program we're doing, Impact Youth. And it's probably going to be probably 30 marathons or 30 ultras in 30 days. Really? You said 30 marathons. Yeah, 30 marathons. I'm going to double it. I would say it's crazy. Well, it's, trans gee, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> well, you know what it is? I just, I feel like we're in a world right now where a lot of people talk. So if I'm going to coach and I'm going to, I want to show people, I want to inspire people from my action. And I want to get out and say, okay, if I'm in my 40s and I started running distance last year and I can do 30 half marathons and then I can double it in 12 months, oh, then... The things I'm doing must be working. I'm not just talking. I'm not. A, I'm not a guy from Stanford with like this fancy degree, a PhD, and a lot of theory. I'm trying to tell you that you know, instead of say someone to go, okay, if this guy could do this, I can get to the gym for 15 minutes a day. Right. Okay. I can voice it. Mm. You know, yes. It's it's showing people. It's not just posting a fancy picture on Instagram, going, oh, look at me. No, it's like I'm running. You know. 800 miles this month. What are you doing? <laughs> Not much compared to that. <laughs> right, but you know what I mean? It tries to show people, okay, and not in an arrogant way. It's just like, okay, then maybe I can do that. Do that spin class or walk around the block or just do something positive for yourself. Yes, but you're living it. You're living it. You know, you're not just talking yeah. about it. Yeah. That's the difference. No. And you can no. change lives by that, by doing that. Well, I just think it's we're in 2019 coming to 2020. It's like, let's walk the talk. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Let's stop posting stuff that's all, you know, giving people these false expectations. Mm. Let's get into the into the gutter of it. Like, but this is why I love a guy like David Goggins. Oh, right? yeah. Um, I Goggins because Goggins, Goggins' success is his failure. Yes, he talks um, about that. So yes. You go out and you, you fail. You fail to be a Navy SEAL three times. And that's what makes it great. True, but he kept going. Do you know when you think about it? Like, I failed three times. Every time he runs, something goes wrong. He, you know, he breaks his bones in his feet. He, he, his last race, he got lost. So it's his failure that inspires us. He's not saying, I'm great. He's like, I'm a normal dude that's willing to pay the price. And that's beautiful because he's honest. Yes. You know what I mean? He's not posting all these. And, and that's why I love people like Golden because... He's just, he's a normal dude that was a beast that did the right thing and he's continuously working. You can't beat that. No, you can't beat that at all, man. You can't, not at all. That is so real. That is amazing. But the fact that you're doing this in, two, in 2020, running 30 marathons in 30 days, and you're actually raising yeah. money for, uh, for a TV show. Yeah, so the new, the, what we're doing is the, the new venture is called Impact Youth, and I'm working with a great guy called Al, and 
we are going out and obviously going to try and impact the youth with the the talks we do um inspire educate and motivate and you know prevention through education and we're going to attack a lot of issues going on in the school systems now which are to do with drugs and just a lot of you know disempowering things um and go out and i'm also uh, talking with a good friend of mine morgan spurlock we're working on an idea right now which oh yeah will revolve around Thing. Oh yeah, Morgan Spurlock from uh, that uh, what was that obesity uh, documentary with McDonald's or something? Super, yeah, super, it's the best. He actually just put out another one called Super Size Me ah. Too, which is um, basically about the chicken industry. Yeah, he's one of the best in the business. We've been friends for like twenty yeah, years. He's amazing. So he's the best. He's the best. Him and Michael Moore, they're the best. Wow. So I'd like to know more about that as you move forward with the Impact Youth. You know. I'll keep you posted. Please, Absolutely. Jennifer, stay in touch. Let me know. I have a program where I work with children. Uh, childhood obesity is our focus, you know, so, oh, so I understand what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing to impact our youth. That's so important, you know. Yeah, yeah. it's so important. And, and especially me, I was a troubled youth. I just, you know, I was lucky enough to have enough belief in myself to somehow, you know, know that if I didn't get out of Perth and make better choices. So I really pay it back to the young kids because if I feel someone, a young addict or a young kid is being abused or I can kind of intervene and give them just that seed that helped them seed of hope. And I'm open about my story. And I tell people about, you know, the amount of cocaine I was doing, the, the crack there. And because I want kids to see that it's not cool. It's not tough, you know, and, and, teach them a little bit of emotional intelligence. You know, it's not about going and kill and be killed. It's about being compassionate yes. and softening up. A, you know? Yes. And you, and you, you put your life out there, yeah. revealing everything about yourself. You're not trying to hold back. This is who I am, you know, yeah. but it doesn't, didn't, it didn't define me. Right. No. And it's just, okay. I, I, I have no skeletons in the closet. I don't care. I made so many mistakes making bad choices that I tell people about them. So I don't make them again. I don't mind that. I a lot of stuff because I didn't lose it. I gained it by, by being honest. Like I mean, years ago, someone said to me, Oh, all you do is tell people you're sober. I'm like, well, hold on. Everyone used to call me up at four in the morning when I was drunk and doing cocaine. So now, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you I'm sober. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you're ready to shame me when I was making bad choices, but now you don't want to, you know, pat me on the back for making empowering choices. Huh. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, other people's opinion are not our reality. Most definitely. And how, and how do you get people to understand that if you're in, a, in an environment where, the, where there's a lot of negativity and you're trying to be positive, what do you tell people? How do they deal with that? Well, I look at it like this. I always come back to myself. And I, I, I do this thing that I think anyone can use that will save your life. It's a, it's a three-part process. The first thing is this. If you're talking to me, it's information, right? If I have a thought that thought is putting information into emotions into me. So it's just information. The second part is to become curious. So if you say something in a really negative tone to me, mm, that's interesting. I'm curious about that. Wow, that's interesting. You're really off today. Or well, wonder why you did that, right? So that separates me from reacting and allowing my emotions to hijack me. The third part, don't take anything personal. Huh. Don't take anything personal. Because <laughs> everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe it's that's their reality, right? That doesn't have to be your reality. That's it. You know what? It doesn't have to be yours. And you know what? You don't. You just stay in your own lane. Now, here's a perfect example, right? If you're in a situation where you we're both in a, a restaurant and someone comes in with a gun, okay. There's there's serious danger we could get killed, all right? But if you really think about it, if someone cuts you off in traffic or if someone jumps in front of you or, you know, it, what is the real danger? It's just like, ah, oh, the person's having a bad day. Let's get out of the Exactly. Way. Do you know what I mean? Like, I sweat it. It's like I've seen people on the freeway in L.A. They jump 50 lanes. I say and guess what? I beat him to where I want to go because I just stayed in my own lane. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I, I often say too, Mike. Basically, I don't want them as part. I don't want them to be a part of my life. 
So I'll let them go. Just let it go. It's like, just let it pass by. It's a moment. Yes, it's a moment. You know how people take a moment and ruminate on it? And then it's like I always say, you know, you get, you get a little, little rock and you throw it quickly and skim it. It affects the whole everything. It affects everything in the water, that one little ripple. But if you drop the pebble down, it barely makes an impact. So in life, if you let things drop and center them, guess what? There's no impact. Mm. But if they rip across the front of you, guess what? There's a lot of impact. Most definitely. And a lot of times you allow it to impact you. Oh, I always do. It, it's always on me. Always on me about perception. You know why? I go back to Viktor Frankl. If he could not take it personal with all that harm coming his way, what am I doing? I'm in my car. I'm in Southern California. Someone honked me. Someone cut me off. Come on. Hmm. How important is that? How, you know, exactly. And like you said, he was in the concentration camps. Come on. Now, unless I'm in San Quentin or Pelican Bay, which is a pretty, two pretty bad prisons, even then, even if I was on death row, which is horrific, there's still rules. Yeah, true. I may not get, I may just sit there and they feed me. I'm not like sitting there in Auschwitz going, oh, any second I could die in a gas chamber. So if that guy with that kind of stress can be like, I can handle this, come on. I think maybe I'm like, I need to change my perception. Exactly. And with that in mind, I mean, you basically you become unconquerable. You know what I'm saying? You can do whatever you want. You just capable because you, you, you learn to control your emotions no matter what. I, look, I, I call it the flexible mindset, right? So a flexible mindset, what I write about in my book, is the seven steps to unbreakable mindset is the flexible mindset is this. If you ever watch an image of a palm tree in a hurricane, a palm tree never breaks in a, in a, in a hurricane. It mm. bends. It's the, only, it's the only thing, the only plant. It bends. It learns to bend, not break. So in life, when you're faced with adversity, you have to learn to bend, not break. You take the adversity on and you slowly come back. Mm. You know what I mean? You let it. Let it you, you, it's, a, it's a balancing game. You go back to Muhammad Ali when he built, bought, beat George Foreman. He played the rope dope He kept bending. He kept moving. What happened? George ended up. He was the yes. hurricane. George got tired. Out. Yeah, man. <laughs> got tired. He waited for that one moment, the one moment, and he hit him in the jaw and knocked him oh, out. Oh man, so true, so true. So it's like it's learning to take on the adversity. It's like this. It's a simple analogy. If I coach someone, I go, let's go to the gym, and we go to the gym. And we lift some, you know, we do some bicep curls and we do some stuff. And I stress them. And I go, what do you think is going to happen next time? They're like, what do you mean? I said, if we keep stressing you like this, you're going to grow. Your cardio is going to grow. Your muscle is going to grow. They're like, you're right. And I go, well, what do you think that is in life? The more stress, the right amount of stress is going to force you to grow. So it's not called post-traumatic stress. It's called post-traumatic growth. You take the stress, you switch your mindset, you become flexible and you grow. Most definitely. And it's all about growth, isn't it? All about growth. All about growth. Now, you mentioned your book, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. Exactly. What was the impetus yep. for writing that book? To take basic principles, seven simple steps, to show people how to close the gap, find purpose, have a plan, prioritize their time, set the right goals, and get back in touch with their authentic self, become emotionally intelligent, understand willpower, self-discipline, so wherever they are in life, they know that they can get to where they need to be if they're willing to, like they say, successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Unsuccessful people do the work when they feel good. You're never going to feel good. You just do the work. Wow. And, and what, are the seven, what are the seven steps, though, if you don't mind, for my That's listeners? Fun. That's fun, yeah. I tell, teach people to break their and manage their fears, get out of their sympathetic nervous system and get into rest and digest by using a method called the stop method, which is simply stop, take a breath. When you're, when, you're, when you're in fight, flight, or freeze, you breathe diaphragmatically. You go from your amygdala, the primitive part of your brain, into your prefrontal cortex where you make your executive functions. Observe. You're either afraid you're not going to get what you want, lose what you have. You have guilt and shame for something you've done in the past, or you're worried about the future. And then P, proceed. So S-T-O-P. Then, then what you do, once you stop, you take a breath, you observe, you proceed. But guess what? 
you're proceeding and you know why you're moving forward. You're not reacting. You're not sending out that email. You're not attacking. Right. You know? So the second step then goes into creating solutions to your problems, which is to, goes into talk about Viktor Frankl and all these incredible people. It gives you references to show them, show you how to create a positive psychology and post-traumatic the third step, I break down goals specifically, and I have a thing called the seven P's, which is a purpose, a plan, prioritize your time, surround yourself with the right people, make sure you're in the right places, and then you must persevere and be patient. Patient. And it takes you, yeah, patience and perseverance. Then the fourth step is all about uh, the inner critics and how to reprogram your subconscious mind and de-weed the negative. So you've got to flourish, you have to de-weed the negative in life. The fifth step is teaching you that it's about the will to learn the skill. It's got nothing about talent. It's how you work your inclination to be successful. Hmm. Nice. Then the sixth step goes into cultures and rules and values. You must have values and then you must have rules attached to those values that keep you on track, which relates to your purpose. Which connects to your purpose. Got it. Correct. Then the seventh step is broken into three parts. It's uh, to become emotionally intelligent, you must understand your willpower and self-discipline. So if you understand what willpower is and self-discipline is, you become emotionally intelligent. If you become emotionally intelligent, that means you're self-aware. Yes. When you're self-aware and you're emotionally intelligent, you become socially intelligent. So when you become socially intelligent, you can go anywhere in the world you can operate on any level because you understand people, you understand empathy and compassion. Amazing, amazing. Now, where is this book available? Amazon. You can get it on Amazon, Seven Steps to an Unbreakable Mindset. And it's an easy read. I basically, a lot of my life story, I stripped it down to only 150 pages purposely so people don't have a lot of time so they can pick it up, they can get into it, a lot of practical tools. I'm actually talking to a couple of school districts right now to put it in the school program and curriculum. So I broke it down into awesome. a workbook. Uh, you can even, and, and even if you, if someone goes on uh, my website, themikediamond.com, I actually give away the workbook for free on a PDF. So people can download the workbook as, so they can actually have a practical tool that they can take away with them and they can download it for free and I give it to them. Oh, okay. So it's, it's an, it's an ebook as well. Yeah, I, well, what I did to make it easier is the, the actual, there is the written 150 pages, but then because people like to take notes, I thought, you know what, I'll just put together a little 20-page document on a PDF that you can go in, you can just send it to yourself, and then all of a sudden you have like a practical guide with you all the oh, time. Oh, I see what you're saying. Excellent. And now that sounds like a book yeah. that I need to read myself, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, order that on Amazon, you said, right? Yeah, and Amazon, then the yeah. um, the workbook is on is uh, is on your website. Correct. I'll send you the information. Perfect. Yeah. No, oh, I love that. I love that. How often do you meditate, Mike? Every day, uh, two, twice, twice a day. Twice a day. Yeah, morning and morning and. How afternoon. much time do you spend each time? I do it in like this. I do the first way I do it is I do breath. I stretch first for ten fifteen minutes, and I do breath work where I use a Kundalini style breathing, which is you know place one the thumb on one nostril and breathe in and then release on the other side to open up both sides of my uh, brain. Then I go into um, breath of fire, which is the short breath through the nose, pumping the diaphragm. I do three rounds. Of that. Then I go into three rounds of deep diaphragmatic breathing in the nose, out the mouth. Then I end with box breathing, which is uh, Mark Devine in all the Navy SEALs do it, which is either a three, four or five count, whatever you, you, you breathe in for three, you hold for three, breathe out for three, hold for three, like a box. And you can do, you can do three, four or five, whatever's comfortable. And then, so that'll take about 10, 15 minutes. Then what I do is I specifically, I put on a theta brainwave. Uh, and the theta brainwave, when I'm just in a mindful state, because I'm really calm, I visualize then what I want to attract. Really? And, yeah, the, the subconscious mind, the way it works is you can say affirmations all day, but there's two times of the day where we're really receptive, and that's when we're in a theta brainwave, and that's the first part of the day and the end of the day, 
and you can put yourself in a theta brainwave and then once you start to program, you become hypnotic and you receive. So if we want to go way back to that, we go back to the first seven years of your life, you're in a theta brainwave and that's why the first seven years of our lives are so important and if they were bad, our brains are programmed. Yes, I've read that. Yes. Amazing. So that's why I do everything a theta brainwave and I do it I meditate twice a twice day. a day wow that's amazing Mike I tell you I can go on forever talking with you man but I tried to keep it 30 minutes but I didn't I didn't uh, work that out either but it was so such so, so much information you were able to share with my listeners with myself I'm so thankful that you had the time to come on the show today thank you so much for having me and you know what when we get off I'll actually send you a book so if you um if you send me your, your stuff in New York, and I'll, I want to send you a copy. Almost oh, definitely, copy. because I de- I really I want to read it, and the more I think about it, I I should read it because I can benefit from it like anyone else, and then I can also recommend it to my my listeners. Yes, absolutely. Any last words though for my listeners? Make them want to make a change in their lives. I would say this: life is so short that if you feel stuck right now that there's enough information out there to change, make a change right this second, right this second, and you don't have to have a lot of resources, be resourceful. And that means go on podcasts every morning. If you don't, can't get to the gym, do some squats in your house or some push-ups, make some dietary changes, make very small changes, and guess what? You'll have the ripple effect, and there will be lasting changes, and those little steps, like they say, the journey of one step, a thousand miles is the journey of one step at a time. One step at a time. Mike Diamond, thank you so much. And on behalf of Body Scope of New York and Six Weeks of Fitness, I truly want to thank you for coming on my show. You're the best, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to my listeners, I truly hope this program was informative, encouraging, and inspiring, and that you will continue tuning in to our Six Weeks of Fitness podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please leave them on my Six Weeks of Fitness blog at www.sixweeksoffitness.com or email me at vince at sixweeks.com. Take care. Bye-bye.